Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Poor, and my guest today is Steve Greenfield. And Steve is going to be talking a little bit about the state of the state address and how uh, the governor uh, said that he was going to work with Google. So, Steve, tell us tell us your thoughts about. I think it was the first or second address. What's your view? It actually, the, the, the specific moment um, that caught my attention that I think should catch everyone's attention was in the second, the second half. Okay. <laughs> on, on, on the second day. Um, you know, I don't generally put a lot of stock in State of the Union and State of the State addresses. Uh, you know, all of us are aware when we see them that they are political addresses. Yes, I know that they are meant to indicate us, you know, kind of the table-setting process. They're always in January, um, and whichever executive uh, at the top of whichever state or country, that, is, that whether it's, you know, the president or a governor, is supposedly using this speech as a table-setting for what is believed to be the upcoming legislative agenda, right? That's its, that is named purpose. That's what's out there. But they generally tend to be um, basically um, the person giving the speech is running down a litany of their own accomplishments, <laughs> you know, and that you'll, you know, what, that you'll expect them to continue being uh, achieving significant accomplishments in the upcoming session, uh, they will certainly be setting whatever they're describing as their agendas uh, is generally something that's designed to bring support to the party that they sit atop um, because that's actually their primary responsibility is to make sure that uh, legislators and other people down ticket uh, that they would be needing as a legislative majority or support system are able to win their elections. Um, and so all of that is baked into how state of the state, state of the union addresses um, are made, and I don't put a whole lot of stock in them. I, you know, generally don't watch them. Uh, I don't want to end up caught up with people who, you know, are counting how many times people stand up and sit down, uh, how many times <laughs> Pelosi applauded, whether Nancy Pelosi ripped the papers in half at the end of the speech. Like I, right. I, I don't, I never want to be one of the people um, that is that is watching that to to take it to take those kinds of things away as if we're watching you know, uh, presidential survivor and, and cheering for who's going to get voted off the island, you know. So I, I generally don't place a lot of stock in them, don't really. I, I happen to have been somewhere where there was a, I was doing something where a television was directly in front of me while Andrew Cuomo was speaking. And so I was there at the precise moment where he started talking about what he intends to do to pull New York out of economic crisis uh, provided that the vaccination process, you know, somehow makes it possible for us to emerge from our economic crisis, you know, under that optimistic premise, you know, that we're sort of on the path to taming the disease. And so as part of that, we're going to start making preparations now for how we're going to really rocket up the, the economy here uh, so that there's no delay once we know that things can be put back into motion. And uh, unfortunately, what he said was that, um, you know, paraphrasing, but some of his actual language, he started out by saying, uh, Zoom, for better or for worse, is here to stay. And he's acknowledging something that, you know, that we all are kind of aware 
that one of the side effects of uh, how whatever parts of the economy have continued operating during the pandemic is that a lot of people who used to go to offices um, might be realizing that they don't really need to do that, that they don't need to put wear and tear on the car, that they don't need to spend all that money on gasoline and risk getting into an accident on the road and everything else that's involved in commuting. Um, They don't even have to have an expensive set of office clothes, um, you know, because you you can do so much of the um, traditional office work now in a teleconferencing and telecommuting format, right? We, We know that. That's true. But that doesn't mean that we want our tax dollars spent in facilitating the continued evolution of that, right? We fell into that because of an emergency. And, mm-hmm. and yes, the market, the market on its own, you know, white, you know, white collar environments, you know, office work on its own and the people who own those businesses and, and make decisions based on cost. Yes, absolutely. Those people are going to make decisions on that basis. Um, and we are going to see a dramatic reduction in the amount of, um, you know, office space that companies need to rent. Um, you know, but the, but the question at hand is, you know, why would tax dollars be spent facilitating that to, to exacerbate that and, 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 and escalate the way that would develop on its own? Or, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, is it possible, and I'm going to go into that, um, that we might actually want, tax dollars spent um, diminishing the likelihood that that would happen, creating incentives for businesses to return to their traditional offices. You know, is, is that, that is something policy could do, you know, for anybody who's never heard this expression before, um, you know, I, I, you could be saved four years of going to a, you know, or two years of going to a public policy master's administration program uh, by just learning this simple adage, um, you know, tax, things that you don't want to happen and subsidize things that you do want to happen. <laughs> there it is. You know, I just saved you $80,000 in a two years master's program. Um, you know, the rest of what you get out of those programs is kind of the nitty gritty of how you would, you know, how you would apply that general broad principle. Right. So, you know, if you want to go to public policy school, by all means, you know, go ahead and do that because you do need trained people, you know, uh, devising and implementing public policy, but essentially for purposes of conversation, you tax things that you don't want, and you subsidize things that you do. We know about this. We see this every day, right? Taxes on cigarettes, they're enormously high, enormously high. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we subsidize health care. You know, uh, <laughs> we subsidize schools. We, we give tax deductions for people who make charitable donations, right? That's a subsidy. We subsidize, you know, you tax what you don't want, and you subsidize what you do. That's how it works. And so with that in mind, um, there are some really shocking and disturbing things about uh, Andrew Cuomo saying that he's going with tech, that he's named the former chief executive officer of Google to be the head of planning state economic redevelopment uh, post-COVID, you know, Amazon, other, you know, the, the tech giants. Um, I'm not looking at this kind of thing from a political perspective. I am not down with this whole right wing, left wing, you know, uh, okay, you know, tech people, they, they make donations to Democrats and they want, you know, I don't, I, I don't have any interest in that kind of argument. That's just a tribal argument. I'm going to talk in terms of 
the implications of this um, in terms of public policy. Now, he did this two ways. He also said that he wants to create a system where people who currently do not have adequate Internet access, whether it's because of where they live or because of, uh, you know, not having much money to afford a monthly bill uh, for, for, their, for their Internet access, um, that he's going to try to create some kind of incentive system to get, uh, you know, groups like Spectrum uh, to provide Internet access uh, to low-income people for considerably less cost. He's basically going to take uh, the one demographic that is not currently tethered to the profit interests of big tech and, and get them onto big tech. Um, this is interesting. It's kind of like, uh, in a sense, almost like the Tennessee Valley Authority, right? We think of the uh, rural electrification during the Great Depression that Franklin Roosevelt said, well, it's intolerable that uh, people should not have electricity just because they live in a, an area of such uh, of a population density so low that it's not profitable for an electric company to put telephone poles and wires all the way down there because there just aren't enough customers that would be paying to cover the cost of investment. And so the public is going to build uh, generators, dams, uh, you know, power plants, transmission lines, <clears throat> so that 100% of the country will have electricity in their homes, right? Great. That's great, right? And when he did that, suddenly everybody was able to buy radios, <laughs> every, you know, whatever, refrigerators, every kind of electrical appliance. So companies like uh, Zenith and RCA and, and uh, you know, and Frigidaire were suddenly able to make billions and billions of more dollars, not because people didn't want their products, but because didn't previously want their products, but because they, they didn't have electricity. Now they do. So it's the same kind of thing, right? When you take the, the last people of, of, of our society that don't have uh, adequate access to the Internet, you have to also bear in mind that you're also putting on the Internet the last segment of our society that does not buy things through Amazon. They buy things in person at a store. You know, so when you give them that, you have to you have to understand the you know the laws of unintended consequences, right? Um, you're going to take the poorest neighborhoods, where 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 businesses are local and small and hang on by a fingernail because they don't have high income customers, and you're going to give what what few customers they have what, what the, the customers they have access to Amazon, right? That's what Cuomo wants to do. That's that's going to be one of the consequences of bringing broadband into uh, low-income communities like that and using tax dollars to subsidize uh, the private Internet companies to give low-cost access to low-income people. You know, so uh, on the one hand, there's good can come for it, right? They can, they can do research for school um, without having to go out in the snow and go to the library. You know, you, you certainly don't want to create any further uh, educational equity issues that we already have growth of the internet has certainly uh, come along with a good deal of that. But, but, but at the very least, you want to remember what's going to happen when you do that. You know, people use Amazon because they, they sell for cheaper than brick and mortar stores. And people with very little money are going to find that attractive. Um, and, and so their already impoverished communities are going to become even more impoverished. This is not going to be an empowering and wealth-creating thing um, for the impoverished communities. It's actually going to have the opposite effect of that. It's going to generate uh, further economic depression and decline 
uh, what few uh, thrive, what few businesses they have are going to become boarded up very quickly, just as businesses have become boarded up all over the country the entire time Amazon's been in existence. Um, and those that that started in communities where with more money, where the internet access was readily available. So he but said but, nothing in but, his but speech Steve, about. Yeah, Steve. The question is, you know, times change, and all of a sudden we were hit with a whole new, you know, a whole new set of situations. And the, the situation is people were, were um, stuck and isolated in their homes. So the, for, for areas that do not have adequate Internet service, something has to be done to provide that Internet service. Um, right? Well, well, no, actually. I mean, it's already too late for that, right? He's talking about what he wants to do after we can all go back outside again. He's not talking about solving this problem for them now. He's talking about that this will start to happen once we're all able to go out again. And so now I'm not saying that it's, that, that, that it's not going to happen. It's going to happen by market forces. I'm, I'm just questioning um, in the short run whether we want to actually expend tax dollars to do this, because this is always the problem with the way public policy is implemented in this country, is that nobody says what happens next, right? Nobody says, you know, if we, if we overthrow an election in Iran and install the Shah, you know, what happens next? <laughs> nobody says if we, um, uh, I don't know, if we, if we stop the Soviet Union from conquering the Taliban, if we, if, we, if, we, if we help the Taliban defeat the Soviet Union, and that works, and the Soviet Union is defeated, and the Taliban is now in charge of Afghanistan, uh, then what happens, <laughs> right? Talk about all these laws. You know, the laws of unintended consequences operate much more freely when nobody even bothers to think about the unintended consequences. And that's the problem. Okay? That's the problem. It's not just about, I started out talking about what he was proposing um, for impoverished communities and how, while this is certainly, you know, like I said, a benefit in certain areas like education, uh, there is no getting, and, and for the, the poor people themselves, being able to get products for less money is, is certainly, you know, a, a better deal for them. You know, they're the, they're the ones with the, with the least to begin with. Um, so, you know, why they're forced to buy products for more money than middle class people are buying them for doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm freely acknowledging all of that. But the part where, where Andrew Cuomo and I are diverging is that that's where he stopped. And what I'm saying is you can't stop there. You have to understand that once people are starting to save money by buying on Amazon, that all of their local businesses are going to go out of business. And that means the little tiny bit of employment, people who actually work and have jobs in poor neighborhoods are going to become unemployed and they're going to go on unemployment. They're going to go on social services. They're going to turn to crime. They're going to, it's not so simple as, Oh, look, it's going to improve education. Oh, look, it's going to save them money when they're purchasing. Um, it's not that simple. By virtue of the fact that they will save money when they're purchasing, 
we already know that they're going to stop purchasing face-to-face at their local businesses. And when they stop purchasing face-to-face at their local businesses, and, and the margin is, is under 10%, if only 10% of them stop purchasing regularly at their local businesses face-to-face, all of those businesses are going to go out. All of them. They're all going to close. The community is going to actually become many, many multiples more blighted than it already is. Than it already is. And so that's the part where I'm diverging for like, why does he stop? Why does he talk about the good parts and then stop? He's the governor. He knows what's going to come next, right? Okay, let's talk about another part of this, the office workers. You know, that's something that's uh, direct in, in, in my own family. You know, my wife is a, is a, is a white-collar professional who works in an office, and, and she, unlike me, a musician, you know, the performance venues are all closed down. She's not unemployed. She's working online. Um, that was already something that was part of her, her work experience, you know, beforehand. She was already working online four out of the five days a week, and so the company easily transitioned to everyone working online. And who knows what the future is uh, for the office space that they've previously been renting now that they've seen that their business can operate pretty darn well, you know, with people generally being at home. Um, so that's going to be happening, obviously, all over the state. Um, in certain areas like our cities that are not manufacturing centers, you know, especially in New York City, which is, a, you know, an office economy right there, skyscrapers, it's all offices, you know, the majority of the economy down there. What's going to happen? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen there. I'm going to tell you the, part, the other part that Andrew Cuomo stopped without, um, without mentioning. That was irresponsible of him, you know, in this cheerleading speech not to mention to the citizens of New York. Those buildings are where our commercial-rated property taxes come from, okay? Commercial rates are much higher than residential rates. That's where the money comes from for local things, right? Villages, towns, um, counties, school districts all get their funding from local property tax, not from income taxes, Okay, so when those things close, all of a sudden, you're firing teachers, you're firing firefighters, uh, you're firing police, you're firing maintenance workers, you're firing highway workers, the potholes never get filled, the fires don't get put out. It's that people start running up huge personal bills because their car drives through a pothole and you bend your axle and now you, you know, like it's, it's, not, it's not just a matter of inconvenience. It's that, you know, the, the, the parts of our social contract that are administered locally um, and in counties and school districts are, are entirely dependent on those commercial property taxes. And so what was also conspicuously missing uh, whether it's a matter of, of, of um, small businesses in poor communities that are now ordering from Amazon all going out of business, or whether it's a matter of larger, uh, more upscale jobs and office jobs in communities uh, where, you know, you see them outside Albany, right, these little uh, suburban towns that, that have uh, office parks, corporate office parks right around you, you know, uh, Latham, Gilderland, all these little areas outside, outside where you live that are primarily supported by revenues from, uh, from office parks. They're all going to mm-hmm. go under. They're all going to go under. And so when they go under, towns, counties, and school districts are all going to go under. Because if you're going to do something like that, you have to set up in advance 
a replacement taxation system for the property tax. You can't just not change the you can't change the status of the economy from from uh, real estate based to online based without in advance changing the taxation system away from real estate based. You can't design a policy that you know is going to diminish real estate based revenues without first having change the way you collect revenues in recognition of the fact that that revenue stream is going to start drying up because of the policy you established, right? That's insane. I think he he talked about converting those buildings into apartment buildings for, you know. Yeah, low-cost housing, right, right. How do you get taxes out of that? How do you get taxes out of that? You're talking about affordable housing, right? You're talking about putting poor people in buildings. You're not going to be able to tax them. They don't have any money. These, when they were commercial buildings, thriving commercial buildings, they're generating profits. They pay taxes from those profits. You turn it into residence, and that's an important thing. I'm glad that you brought that up because there's another kind of property-based tax besides the commercial property tax, and that's the residential property tax. You know, I pay it. I own a house, a small house. I pay property taxes every year to my town, to my county, and to my school district. Um, it's not like the needs of that. It's not like, uh, you know, we're not going to keep paying the highway department. It's not like we don't need our potholes to keep getting filled. It's not like we no longer are going to need the snow to be plowed. We're still going to need those things. And so we're still going to be paying for them. So where's the only place left? If we don't redesign the taxation system away from a real estate-based taxation system, where's the money going to come from when the commercial rate payers are out of business and no longer paying taxes. It's going to come from us in our residences. Our, our property taxes are going to go skyrocketing. The 2% tax cap is going to be nothing because it's only going to, it only requires a 60% town board vote. There's only five people on a typical town board. So a simple majority vote and a 60% vote is the same thing on most town boards. Three votes yes versus two votes no. That's all it takes to override the 2% tax cap. And the need is going to be desperate. Nobody's going to shut down their fire departments, their police departments. Their, you know, uh, come on. Like, we know this, right? We know that what Andrew Cuomo just proposed, since it does not come bundled with a major taxing revision, moving, moving entirely off real estate-based systems for the local portions of our social contract, um, at least in the short run, all the burden is going to be put on us and our houses, and our incomes aren't going to be going up, so a lot of us are going to end up in tax arrears. County's going to take our houses, put our furniture out in the street, you know, and, and even if we can't afford it, we're going to be taking it out of money that we've been saving to send our kids to college. Right? Let I mean, me ask you, know, you this. Or for our Let retirement. Let me ask you this, please. The, the things that you're talking about right now, the arguments that you're presenting right now, I'm sure Andrew Cuomo knows this. Would you say that was a correct statement? Oh, yes, because this has been going on for quite some time. You know, the instability of real estate-based taxation um, and even other things uh, apart from the security of the revenue stream itself, such as the social division that it creates, right? Let me give you an example of what I mean by social division. I like to consider myself a decent human being. And because I'm a decent human being, 
I like to do my share to make sure that we have a quality education in my community. You know, I've, I've mm-hmm. never voted no on a school budget. You know, no matter how much of an increase it was over the previous school year's budget, I take that, um, you know, under advisement in the context of, of my ability to pay and my belief that, that, that children uh, cannot thrive if they don't have a solid education going into adulthood, and I vote yes on the school budget. But every time mm-hmm. I vote yes on a school budget, every time I do that, I'm voting to harm senior citizens because they're on a fixed income. Right. You know, and, and, and that fixed income, not only are they on a fixed income, it's a, it's a much lower income than the income they had when they were working before they retired. So it's not just that okay. it's fixed, it's that it's, it's lower. So I have, now I have to ask myself, I was supposed to be a good person. I care about senior citizens. I don't want senior citizens to lose their homes or cut their bills in half because there's their school tax went up just because I care so much that kids should have a good education. So that's what I mean by social division. The the real estate based tax has caused good people to be at each other's throats over picking the winners. Like, do I pick the kids or do I pick the old people? And if you pick the old people, then then one half of the community is going to be yelling at you. You don't care about children. You're increasing class size. You don't care for children. And then if you choose the children, the other side is going to yell at you. You don't care about my grandmother. She has to sell her house and she's not going to be able to babysit for my children. Why do we need this in our lives? Why do we need this? So of course, Andrew Cuomo knows this. Everyone knows this. Let me, (laughs) let me uh, pose this question to you. We only have a couple minutes left. If what you're saying is correct, and Andrew Cuomo knows this, why would he do things to destabilize the people in New York State? Because it doesn't affect him. It doesn't affect him. He is speaking from the perspective of his own uh, ambitions and for the ambitions of the legislators he's trying to get elected that would vote in favor of his agenda and that agenda designed to support his own ambitions. The interesting thing about the property tax is that it's not from the New York State legislature, okay? If, if the New York State legislature were to vote to end property taxes and instead fund everything that the property tax funds through an income-based general revenue, you know, the New York State general fund, the, the income tax fund, uh, they would have to raise income taxes to do that. And while that raise of income taxes would be more than offset by the amount that the rest that we're all suddenly no longer paying in property taxes, mm-hmm. um, that's not how it plays in public relations. You know, um, mm-hmm. the legislature, this, when this happens, it's not going to be the New York State legislature's problem. It's going to be the New Paltz town board's problem. It's going to be the New Paltz central school district's problem. You know, it's going to be the the Ulster County legislature's problem. It's not going to be our state senators and members of assembly's problem. It's not going to be Andrew Cuomo's problem. And since it's not going to be their problem, they can pursue their own goals uh, free of consideration for that problem. That's the history of, of state versus local public administration and the two very different revenue streams that, that they use. Um, it's, it's, he, he just doesn't care. He flat out doesn't care. <laughs> and on that note, we're out of time. So I'm sure that you'll come up with, you know, different thoughts to, you know, further 
expand this discussion. You've been listening to Steve Greenfield, who was a candidate for Congress in the 19th District of New York as a Green. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook. Steve, thanks a lot. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.